Uh, Let's bow together and pray for our message. Father, thank you so much for this privilege to come this morning. What a wonderful, wonderful time and privilege it is to be together, to be singing your praises unto you, to be praising you, to be uh, exalting you, and to be looking into your word, Lord God. And I pray as we look into your word today that you would use it greatly, use it mightily to conform us to the image of your Son, that we would understand what you intended and that we would obey what you desire, all by your power and strength for your glory. So, Lord, we just commit this message to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you think of when you think of the word enemy? What do you think of? One dictionary defines it as one who is antagonistic to another, one who is seeking to injure, seeking to overthrow, to confound, speaks of an opponent, speaks of harmful and things that are deadly towards you. What do you think of when you think of an enemy? Have you ever had a personal enemy? Have you ever had someone who was your enemy, who was opposed to you, who desired to destroy you, basically? Have you ever had that? Well, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, we see that the devil is the Lord's enemy. And when we come into uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are in union with him. We are the body of Christ, and we are his uh, children. We are, we are God's children through Christ. And therefore, God's enemy, Satan, is now our enemy, our enemy. Now, in our study of Nehemiah, we've come to a point where the uh, enemies of the Israelites who are, want to serve the Lord and Nehemiah are manifest. Look in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah 2 verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Now we're going to see this next week, but Nehemiah is on his journey from uh, from uh, Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire, to Jerusalem. He's been given permission by the king to leave. God's good hand has been upon him to grant that. And he's on his way. He's on his way. And the word gets out that he's on his way. Verse 10, And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. We're going to see, and there's actually six times we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah that the term enemy is used to describe these men and what they do towards the sons of Israel and Nehemiah. Indeed, we see that uh, they begin to try to confound with their opposition. And by the way, we're going to see that when you want to serve the Lord, there's going to be opposition. When you want to do what's right in your marriage, when you want to do what's right at work, when you want to do what's right in church, you're going to be opposed, especially when you desire to serve the Lord. Look a little farther in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Gershom the Arab heard it, they mocked. This is about the walls being started up and, and being built, the Jews doing that. They mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They're going to put false accusations out so that uh, the king might remember his stop edict before. If you were with us last week, we heard about that. And so he says here, so I answered, this is Nehemiah, 
and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. So you see that opposition beginning to take place. Look in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Look in chapter 4. Now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. Verse 2 of chapter 4. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burnt ones? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was near him and said, even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, it would break their stone wall down. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Notice the opposition, they're being despised. Um, return their reproach on their heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let their sin not be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. You've got those who are going against the work of God, trying to demoralize those who are working in it. And look down a little farther in chapter 4, chapter 4. Verse 7, now it came about when Sanibel to diet and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard of the repairs of the walls of Jerusalem went on, that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. And even later on, verse 11, 11, and our enemies said, they will not know or see when we come among them and kill them. This is, this is there after them and put a stop to the work. These evil men wanted to stop the work of God. That was their goal. And they were going to do that by discouraging, despising, uh, frightening, even bringing physical violence. And notice in chapter 6, verse 1. After 6, verse 1. Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Gershom the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall. Now it's done, right? That it's getting done. Or that no breach remained, and although at, at this time I had not set up the doors, the gates, so it's not completely done, but it's pretty done. It's getting close. Then Sanballat and Gershom sent a message to me. Now this is to... Uh, to Nehemiah himself. They're going, to, they're going to try to intimidate him, okay? Uh, saying, come and let us meet together at Sepharim and the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. That's what he says. So I sent messengers to them. He said, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. I love this. I hope you've been reading through Nehemiah. It's great. Nehemiah is a man of faith, and his responses are in the Lord, righteous and bold and courageous and wise. He says, uh, he says, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should my work stop and I, while I leave and come down to you? Um, and they sent messengers to me four times in this manner, and I answered them the same way. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. It is written, it is reported among the nations. And, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you're rebuilding the wall and that you are their king according to their re- these records, and you have appointed prophets to proclaim Jerusalem, in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah. 
And now it is reported to the king, according to these reports, so come now, let us counsel together. We're going to tattletale on you to the king a falsehood that makes him think you're going to rebel. That's what they're trying to do. Now notice what he says here. He says here, Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inviting, inventing them in your own mind. For all of them... For all of them were trying to frighten us. They're trying to scare them, right? With official letters with the government and all this, trying to scare them, right? That we will, that they, that frighten them, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Is this great? It's great. Then look down at verse 13 of chapter 6. Now, this is about a bad guy who was a prophet who was going to give uh, Nehemiah some prophecy, but he was a hired prophet by the bad guys. So now it gets religious. Notice this, and we'll see later on there's a lot of religious tones with some intermixing with Tobiah and the temple and other things, and Sanballat had an intermarrying. We'll see some intermarrying problems with this also. Verse 13 of chapter 6, And he was hired for this reason that I might become frightened, that was the bad prophet guy, and act according in sin trying to frighten you so that you'll sin, trying to discredit you so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Remember, oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs, and also Nodea, the the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. The reality is, if we are about God's work, we're going to face opposition. And we're going to see throughout the book of Nehemiah that this opposition is in human form. We're going to see it from that level. We're going to see how Nehemiah, a godly man, responds uh, to this opposition. But we, on whom the end of the ages have come, have even much more revelation, understanding that, as we see in Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but, our, but against the rulers. I'm going to read that for Ephesians 6. Uh, against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We have a spiritual foe who spiritually energizes in an evil, wicked way those who are in his domain and those men and women who would oppose those who desire to do God's work. And so for that, I decided today to take a look at our spiritual foe, uh, our enemy, and how we are to respond to him. And keep, we will keep this in mind to add to what we see in Nehemiah as we see how Nehemiah responds to those enemies that come upon him. So that in mind, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verse 8. Now, Peter is writing chosen sojourners who are temporary residents, temporary aliens on this earth. Uh, that's us. That's believers. Those who have been born again to, a, to salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again to a living hope. Uh, he's talking to believers. In the first portion of this book, he begins to explain the realities of our salvation in Christ and the ramifications of that salvation 
that thus we are to, because of this great salvation, fix our hope on, on Christ alone. We're to live holy in the context of fear. We're to love the body of Christ and that we're to yearn for the milk of the word because God is building up a spiritual house that we would give spiritual sacrifices to him, that we would be those as distinct people who would proclaim his excellencies, those who were, who were not his people but now are his people, who hadn't received mercy, but now have received mercy. And then in chapter 2, we begin the application portion of Second Peter, where we see in verse 12, as aliens and temporary residents in this earth, we are to stay far away from fleshly lusts which wage war with our soul. And the rest of the book coming up to there is how we do that in relationship to the differing relationships that we have and the suffering that will come upon us. The suffering will come upon us. Indeed, how we are to have our behavior excellent among Gentiles, certainly with governing authorities and slaves and masters, and, and how we do so, <coughs> knowing we've been called for this purpose to suffer, to follow in the footsteps of Christ, that we would keep uh, entrusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously, uh, just like Jesus did. And God would use through our suffering his redemptive purposes uh, around us. And then we saw in chapter three that we are to be, we're to be kind-hearted. Uh, we're to be uh, 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 humble towards one another, have the sympathetic mindset uh, to be uh, loving towards one another, kind-hearted, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. I said kind-hearted a few times there, um, and uh, sympathetic towards one another, knowing that God's ear is attentive to the righteous. His ear is turning away from the wicked, but when you are doing what is right, his ear is upon the righteous. And we see how we are and what we are to do right in light of relationships, whether it's the marriage relationship, whether it is our relationship to our bosses we saw earlier, our relationship to government, whatever it might be. And so here we come then to chapter 4, in which we see that in light of Christ's suffering, we need to arm ourselves for the same expectations, in a sense. We need to think rightly about our suffering, submitting ourselves to God, trusting in him who judges righteously, because he's using it to bring about his redemptive purposes and to refine us. And indeed, if he's going to allow difficulty to come upon his children to refine them, fiery ordeals, what is the outcome for those who reject the gospel, Right? And then we come to chapter 10, and, or chapter 10, chapter 5. <laughs> chapter 5, and in chapter 5, we're going to see uh, in this context that uh, we have uh, some final exhortations regarding, first of all, the leaders, the elders in the church, and then we have some exhortations for us, exhortations for us. And within this, we're going to see how to respond, how to respond to the opposition that comes to us with Satan ultimately being behind it. Chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So how can we withstand 
the devil's uh, opposition. It comes through people, but ultimately he's behind it. How do we how do we keep from being discouraged and quitting? How do we keep from being frightened? How do we keep from uh, not trusting the Lord, but leaning on our own wisdom from or focusing on the circumstances, whatever it might be? Well, notice he says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We need to remember we have a spiritual adversary. Yes, you've got the Sanballats and the Tobiases, and I can name some names from our church that go right along with that. You know the names, right? We have those ones, right? But behind that, behind that, we have the devil. He is the adversary. He is our adversary because we are in Christ and he is the Lord's enemy and we are the Lord's. It says your adversary, that speaks of one who is an opponent, an enemy, one who constantly is hostile towards you. You know, Satan is constantly hostile towards believers. Now, he will let you alone if you're sinning and on doing his will, basically. You, you, he's fine with that because that accomplishes his wicked, wicked ways and destroys you. He'll devour you. But if you're wanting to do the right thing, you want to do the right thing in your marriage, you want to do the right thing at work, you want to do the right thing at church, you want to do the right thing at school, you're going to be opposed by an adversary. We have an adversary, Satan. We need to understand that, and he is going to seek a weak believer in the faith to devour. He's going to seek out one, look for one like a lion does. Now, he's a roaring lion. He's got his enemy teeth. They were taken out at Calvary. By the way, Christ has defeated Satan, but Satan can still come after us if we allow him to do so and ignore the truth of God and don't obey God where we would be protected completely if we do. So then we see we have an adversary. Uh, We know, as I mentioned earlier, Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Hey, uh, Nehemiah did not struggle against Sanballat and Tobiah. Well, yes, he did, but no, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. No, his struggle was ultimately against Satan, right? But it came and manifest through Sanballat and Tobiah and the wicked people, right? But if you only see it through the physical portion, then you will not respond rightly because God tells us ultimately our struggle is not against them. It's against our, 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 our evil foe, um, Satan. And therefore, we need to respond differently in a different way, uh, which involves faith and trust in the Lord. And that is going to defeat. Now, you're going to see, and we're going to see that Nehemiah exhibits this firm in the faith. He resists those things over and over again, and he stands firm in the faith, trusting the Lord. All of his responses are, no, 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 God's going to give us success. No, 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 God will bring us completion. You have no part of this. Nehemiah is trusting the Lord. He is walking firm in the faith. And praise the Lord, the Lord protected him. So then our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it does come in the context of people. Even Paul understood that. Uh, turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. It comes in the context of people. It's people. Paul would say, Alexander the congressman did me much harm. Hey, Alexander, not a good guy. The Lord will repay him, right? Hymenaeus and Philetus, he names names. Talks about bad guys. Names the bad guys that messed with Moses in Second Timothy chapter 3. There are people that mess with God's people, right? But there's something behind it. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. 
that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. Hey, there is definitely a problem. So we need to be careful. We don't sterilize our view of our enemy simply and focus on, 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 on just Satan alone. There are people that he's using. And we need to respond in a godly way, trusting the Lord in the midst of how they interact with us. But it's God who delivers us. So we ask for prayer that we would be delivered from evil men. He's trusting the Lord, right? And then notice what he says. Uh, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil. And that's what's behind it. That's what's behind it. Second Corinthians chapter 11 about the false apostles. For such men are false apostles. I'll read this for you at thir- verse 13. Deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, uh, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising his servants, if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Satan's got servants. They're people. They're men that disguise themselves, right? They're bad guys. We're going to see later on Nehemiah that these enemies actually were intermingled, that they had some type of a sense of being religious, as we'll see. Tobiah, especially, he had a place set up in the temple for him that Nehemiah had to kick him out of there, right? So there's, and there was intermarriage. And so it's all kind of mixed together there. But here, God's word reveals the hatred of their hearts. And God's word reveals how it manifests in their actions and then how Nehemiah responded. So then, we are those who can, who, 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 the, the enemy uses, certainly can tempt us on, straight out, right? We can be tempted in our thoughts, whatever it might be. You know, that certainly happens. But he uses people to, to come at us, to persecute us. Indeed, those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. So that's the bad guys come through, but sometimes, sadly, it comes through believers. Now, it's not the case with Nehemiah's time, but there was some issues where there was some difficulties. We'll see later on where they were, uh, believers were charging interest and there was a famine and stuff and, and Nehemiah had to root that out. Okay, so there was some problem there too, right? Um, but here, we see that even believers can actually be used by Satan. You know, Peter just said something that sounded kind of good. Lord, far be it. You go to the cross, basically. You have to suffer all that. Uh, Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking man's thoughts, not God's. Okay, believers can be used. We know in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are not to allow the sun to go down on our anger unless we give Satan a place, the devil an opportunity, a place in us. Man, you see that in believers' life? What a horrible thing that is where Satan has a place in their view towards you or whatever it might be. Awful, awful, awful thing. That's with believers. That's with believers. We also know that if we don't forgive, we give Satan a place. Second Corinthians chapter 2 uh, we're not to be ignorant, Paul says, of his schemes. He uses those things. And so then, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but often it's manifest in the context of flesh and blood. But we need to know how to respond by responding in terms of what God tells us concerning who we're actually struggling against, which is our adversary. Notice back in our passage uh, in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, here we have in verse 8, we have two imperative commands. Be sober spirit, be alert. And then we have the reasoning. Okay? So first of all, we're going to look at the reasoning, then we'll look at those commands and finish up. Okay? Look at the reasoning. The reasoning is what I've been talking about already. 
your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, who is the devil? Who's the devil? What do we know about the devil from Scripture? Now, I'm not going to go in as in-depth as I did when I first did First Peter and went through that. You can look at that, or when we look, went through Ephesians chapter 6, you can pull those up. I'm just going to kind of summarize from some of the passages. But you might remember from Ezekiel 28, and I'm not going to read the passage. You can go there and read it. Ezekiel 28, 11 to 13, we see that Lucifer had a sinless beginning. He was created sinless. He was created perfect in wisdom and beauty. He was in Eden. He was covered with jewels reflecting God's glory. He was Lucifer, light bearer. He was created to praise God in song. And he had grand privileges. You can look in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14. He was the anointed cherub who covers. He was on God's holy mountain. Satan was the most beautiful creation, an angel, a cherub with the grandest of privileges. And he was created without sin without sin. But we also see in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 that Satan, although created perfect and blameless, fell because of his great pride. And he sinned against the living God and was cast out of heaven for all to be appalled at him, to see him as he really is. Ezekiel 28, 15 through 19 and Isaiah 14. Now in Revelation chapter 12 verse 4 we see that he took a third of the angels with him in his initial fall. A third of the angels with him. <coughs> so then, being the most beautiful, powerful angel having fallen, we see in scripture he now continually comes against uh, the people of God. And now Paul said we're not to be ignorant of his schemes. So 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not ignorant of his schemes. But what are his schemes? What does he do? What is he, what is he doing through these men against uh, Nehemiah and the Israelites? What is he doing there? What does he do? Now, that's one specific application. That's what we're looking at specifically. But there are other spheres that he does things. We're going to see that today. So what are his schemes? The term schemes in Greek, methodia, speaks of methods or procedures, uh, devious methods, stratagems, cunning, devious attacks, tricks, speaks of Satan's modus operandi, how he, how he functions how he functions. And Paul says, we are not ignorant of his, his schemes, the way he does things. And you know why we're not ignorant of it? Because God has revealed in his word what his schemes are, and he has revealed in his word how we can be protected from him. And we protected. Now turn to Revelation chapter 20, because this gives us um, all his names. And his names are very uh, descriptive of who he is and what he does. It's very descriptive. Revelation 20. Verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. Now this is after the tribulation. Christ has come and he's going to chain up Satan. Now Satan's going to get chained for a thousand years. That's the context here. And he laid hold of the dragon. There's the first one. The serpent of old. There's the second one. Who is the devil and Satan. Four names here, right? and bound him for a thousand years. First of all, he's called the dragon. We see that back in Revelation chapter 12, right? And we see these four names also back in chapter 12. It's a metaphoric description that likens him to a monstrous reptile. Monstrous reptile. That's the dragon. That's what we see. He's also called the serpent of old. 
he is is spoken metaphorically as a cunning serpent, a snake, like we see uh, in his deception of Eve in the garden. In the garden, he is that one. And third, he is called the devil, diabolos, dia, through, bolos, throw, throw through. He divides. He divides between man and God, and he uses sin as his tool. Sin as his tool. He is the throw through. And then lastly, we have the word Satan, which means adversary. Adversary. Uh, he is our constant enemy. He is God's constant enemy, enemy, and that's what that means. Now, he is the one who deceives the whole world, and he is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, also Zechariah chapter 3. He's the tempter. Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. First Thessalonians 3, 5. So then we have the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, uh, Satan. That's the same being, that, that cherub that fell, that anointed cherub, Lucifer, who fell. The accuser of the brethren and the tempter. We have very descriptive names of our enemy. Describes his what he does. And he gives us insight into his nature and schemes. Now in John chapter 8, we see that Jesus declares that he is a murderer and a liar. Look at John chapter 8, verse 44. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus is reproving the unbelieving Jews here. He says, uh, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's his nature, right? Jesus says, hey, you Jews who rejected me, you are of your father, spiritual father of the devil. And all of us were before we came to Christ, for we are transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son through faith in Jesus. We know he uses death and, f- and fear as his tool, Hebrews chapter 2. I mentioned this before, but in Matthew 13, in the parable of the sower, he is the Lord's enemy. An enemy sowed tares. An enemy did. Right? And that's Satan. Satan is the enemy. We know that he disguises himself as an angel of light. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 11, 13. So do his servants. We know from Genesis chapter 3 that he deceived Eve. He was crafty. He tempted Eve to uh, get her eyes off the Lord, to focus on on the things that she didn't have. He he, uh, told her the word wasn't what it was. God said, if you eat it, you'll surely die. Satan said, you surely die not. He, He caused her to doubt God's word and then to trust in her own judgment as superior than what God has said. And she, being fully deceived, fell. And Adam, being fully rebelling fully, went with that. We know that man's wisdom is demonic. Uh, We know it from from James chapter 3. The wisdom from below is earthly, natural. Sounds kind of good, right? Well, not really. Earthly, natural, and demonic. And demonic. We know that Satan is a powerful foe, but we cannot be like that old phrase, the devil made me do it, right? We can't do that, right? We cannot blame everything on our adversary because we have uh, responsibility too. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. Remember that, he doesn't tempt. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own 
lust. It's our own desire. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. We have an enemy who will tempt us to believe that our judgment is as good as God's. And therefore, when we get in bad circumstances, we get focused on the people and the situations and we want to do what we think is best rather than to believe and trust in the Lord and respond in a way that glorifies him. We get tempted. We get tempted. Now, I mentioned this all the way through uh, that we have an enemy. Um, We have an enemy. And we need to, therefore, as we will see, absolutely trust God in everything. It's 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 true and it's it's wonderful. We gotta not forget it. Proverbs three five: Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Nehemiah did that. He did that. You could see that throughout. And do not lean on your own understanding. We can see that too. In all your ways, acknowledge Him or know Him. He's part of everything you do, um, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, for the fear of the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord, right? And turn away from evil. Now, I don't have time to go through this, but we also know Satan takes advantage of our sin. We saw it in Ephesians 4. If we don't, if we go to bed angry, we give Satan a place. If we don't forgive, uh, he uses that uh, evil against us and those around us. Uh, we know he also capitalizes when we're worldly. You know, when we when we desire, follow our desires, we get in conflicts and difficulties. And God says through James, don't you know friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Hey, you're, you're being worldly in that manner, focusing on worldly wisdom, which is what you think is best, what you desire. And the solution to that in James chapter 4 is to humble ourselves before God and to resist the devil and he will flee from you and to wash our hands and cleanse our hearts through confession of sin. You can look that up in James chapter 4. So now we've seen in the book of Nehemiah that he also uses people to oppose the work of God. And as we begin this work here, this new church out here, we're going to expect it and we're going to see it next week. Expect being opposed. Expect satanic opposition, which could and might come through people. Expect it and know how to respond in advance so that we are not caught off guard when we're stepping out and doing what God wants us to do. You see, he's going to try to use people to oppose us so that we'll be frightened, demoralized, discouraged, and quit. Hey, I have had those temptations with the evil men and women that have come after me in the last few years where I'm tempted to say, forget it, you know? But that's evil, and and God doesn't want me to say forget it. He wants me to say, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I trust you, right? And so these temptations are going to come upon us, and we need to know. He wants to, as we will see, devour us. He wants to pick out a weak believer. You know, you see those uh, those those uh, animal shows where there's a weak animal, and the and the and the lion is just watching it, going, "That's the one, right?" And zoom, dead. You know, you see that. And Satan is doing the same. He's looking for someone who is weak in the faith, who is allowing all the stuff to get in the way and and all messed up emotion, whatever it might be, who's weak, and he's going to devour them. And God warns us, back to our passage, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The term devour speaks of gulping up, destroying 
And he continually, habitually seeks after someone. Now, I believe he's talking about believers. You say, how do I know that? Because he says, your adversary seeks someone to devour, but you resist him. Obviously, the context is he's seeking you to devour, right? But we are given uh, God's word so that we would not be devoured. You see, we're in great spiritual danger when we trust and walk with the Lord. Hey, if you're not walking with the Lord, you got bad attitudes all the time. You know, you're sinning, you don't confess, whatever. You know, guess what? You're just doing good in your sin. Satan's not going to, you're doing fine for him. You're doing fine for him. He's not going to oppose you because you're doing as well. Now, I know you're miserable because anybody's believer who's sinning is miserable. But for us who want to follow him, who want to obey him, who want to do what is right... Throughout the book of Second Peter, talks about good deeds being slandered. Talks about doing what is right for conscience towards God, doing what is right. Talks about following the footsteps of Christ, according walking according to His will. Talking about suffering for the sake of righteousness. Don't fear their intimidation. Keep a good conscience so the thing you're slandered. Uh, They'd be put to shame by your good behavior. You're doing what's right. And the good is in the context of serving the Lord and his people. We saw in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, we proclaim Christ. We preach him and ourselves as your bondservants. Hey, we are servants of the Lord, but we serve you. And so if you want to serve the Lord by serving one another, as we're going to be doing here and as we are doing in our church, then we're going to be opposed. We're going to be opposed. But we can be tempted to worry. We can be tempted to fear. We can be intimidated by those persecuting us. Circumstances that have come about. We can be tempted to fear, be demoralized. We're going to see that Nehemiah knew it. He said they're trying to cause us to be frightened. They're trying to do this to stop the work. He knew it. He saw what they were doing. We need to see that. That Satan is going to do things to frighten us to not continue doing what we're going to do. And isn't that the way you decide, I want to be a godly husband, I want to be a godly wife, and all of a sudden everything's messed up, you know? And then you get tempted, you get frightened, whatever. You know, we see this here, you know, before church, there's always kind of conflict. You probably realize that. You get in your car, there's something with the kids, there's all of a sudden, there's all kinds of things happening. You know, Satan wants to destroy the work of God. And we who are wanting to do his work and are bound together in a desire to do so need to be aware of this. And we need to be on our guard so that we do not get devoured and thus have collateral damage and hurt the ministry of what God desires to do. So then he wants to swallow us up, devour us. What are we to do? What are we to do? Well, God gives us clear instruction here. Look back in First Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, it's exciting to come here and to start a new church, and it's you know, sad, but we need to be on the alert. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. We're going to get attacked, and that's no matter where you are if you're following God, no matter where you are. So the first command we have here is to do something. Be of sober spirit. The term speaks of being self-controlled, not controlled by alcohol, fear, worry, anxiety. It's an intense that speaks of a completed action. Just be of sober spirit. Get your thoughts straight. Get your emotions under control. Don't let things fly out of hand in your heart. Don't let thoughts get just out of control. 
Hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And what is it that causes us to be sober spirit? Or not to be a sober spirit? It's a focus on all the stuff that's going on. It's a focus on the difficulties that are coming our way. It's a focus on what's happening. You want to be a godly spouse and all of a sudden you got problems. It's a focus on that rather than uh, focusing on the Lord and trusting in him and seeing what he wants you to do and how he wants you to respond, whatever it might be. You want to do good at work, you know, all of a sudden you got opposition, right? Don't get focused on it. Focus on the Lord. Be of sober spirit. Don't let your heart get all shaken up. You know, Peter is really fond of this word, and he's used it quite a bit in this in this book. He'll say back in chapter 1, he says, To gird your minds, verse 13, for action, keep sober in spirit. Gird your minds for action. Gird yourself up to, to, to act. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't fix your hope on the little tiny difficulties coming at you right now being resolved. God will take care of that, but don't fix your hope on that. Fix your hope on Jesus. Fix your hope on Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be of sound judgment and of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Get your mind together so that you can pray rightly. You're not all scattered because of all the difficulties and stuff that are going on. Be of sober spirit. You think of those old war movies where the guy is like this and the, the guy goes, you know, and he's like, okay, get, get your mind together. Stop letting all those things cause you to be drunk in your thoughts. Be of sober spirit. Be of sober spirit. That's the first thing, because if we're not, Satan's going to devour you. He's going to devour you. If your heart and mind is all over the place, go to the Lord Jesus. He'll help you be sober. He'll help you. Go to him, Lord God, help me. I'm, I'm all over the place. Go to his word, as we'll see, and trust him. Trust him to help you, because if you ask, he will help you. He will help you. Okay, he's a good God. You ask for uh, bread, he's not going to give you a stone, right? Um, so then, be of sober spirit. We are vulnerable to Satan's attacks if we are not sober. Get your thinking right. Uh, look at... Uh, at Philippians chapter, actually go go back a little bit to First Peter five six, right before our passage. Humble yourselves, therefore, verse six, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Don't be prideful. That's Satan's game. He loves that. He'll use you greatly if you're prideful, right? Um, casting all your anxiety upon Him, for He cares for you. A very vivid in the Greek. It's like throwing a saddle onto a horse throwing your anxiety upon Jesus because he cares for you. You are anxious? Yes, okay, he knows that. Go to him with it and throw it on him in prayer. Throw it on him. Uh, trust him with it. We know from Philippians chapter 4 that we're to be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, think rightly, think this way, whatever is this, whatever is this, think this way, and the God of peace will be with you if you, if you, if you listen and you do. Okay? Be a sober spirit. We're commanded to be sober because we have an enemy. I mean, you look at right now on TV, you got Ukraine, right? And you got Russia all surrounded Ukraine, right? And you look at every little picture of the Ukrainians, and they're all like this, right? 
They are not, you know, just la, 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 you know. The army's not just thinking, no big deal. They know they have an enemy. They know that enemy might attack, and they are alert. They're alert. They're sober. But they're also watchful, and we need to be watchful, just as if we're in a war. Look at our passage here. Be a sober spirit. Be on the alert. You know, you got to be ready for the attacks. It's like you got an enemy. We, we, yes, we need to relax and rest, and yes, we need to enjoy the the things that God has given us. It's a blessing, and, and we can do that. But we need to be on the alert, also because there are attacks coming. We need to be wise. Be wise. God says so. He says so. He says, be on the alert. Now, obviously, it's because you have an enemy prowling about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The term being on the alert has the idea of keeping awake. Keeping awake. Being watchful. Keep awake. Stay awake. Um, indeed, the Lord Jesus used the same term to encourage Peter, encourage Peter, James, and John to stay alert uh, on the night he was betrayed so that when he went to pray. Matthew 26, let's turn there, Matthew 26 and verse 37. You see, we're vulnerable to Satan's attacks if we're not alert. And we're going to see Peter wasn't alert. And he got it. Matthew 26, 37. And he took, him, he took with him Peter and the two other sons, Zebedee, and began, to be, and, be, he, and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to him, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Some versions say stay awake. Keep watch, say stay awake, actually. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible that this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying. There's our word, watching and praying. Keep alert, watching and praying, that you may not enter into temptation. Uh, for the spirit, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, there are differing times that we need to be more on the alert than other times, right? And this was a time where Jesus said, you need to be on the alert. Keep watching, right? And we need to recognize when we're about God's work and doing God's will, you're desiring to do what he wants. In those spheres, you might uh, be a target for Satan to, to discourage you, to, fear, to cause you to fear whatever it might be, to tempt you. So we need to be on the alert. Be on the alert. Uh, recognizing those things come. Recognizing when those thoughts and things come that are not right. Be on the alert. Wait a second, that's not right. Be on the alert when we, how we react to suffering, how we react to other people. Be on the alert for things in our hearts and minds that contradict the truth and character of God. Uh, be on the alert. Be praying. Be praying. We see that throughout. Be praying. Be praying, praying, praying. So then we're to be alert, we're to also be sober of spirit, and we need to recognize the spirit is willing, we want to do the right thing, but the flesh is weak. So we need something beyond the flesh, don't we? We need Jesus. We need his spirit to enable us to be successful in our defense of our enemy, as we will say. So notice, we're to be alert, we're to be watchful, but there's something else we're to do specifically, specifically. Back in our passage, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But, verse 9, resist him firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. 
The term resist him is a command. It implies we're going to know that we're being, uh, we've been alert. We are aware. We're not, we're not drunk with our worries. And we recognize we're being tempted. We recognize what's going on. And we must resist him. Resist him. Okay? You're going to see Nehemiah resist his opponents all the time by trusting God. By trusting God. He resists his opponents by trusting God and being about the work of God, right? Okay, so resist him. But how can we resist such a powerful foe? Uh, are we to uh, rebuke Satan? Stop Satan! Don't hurt me! Or what, how, would he, how do you resist Satan? Well, um, we know false teachers will say you should do that. But in Jude, we know that Michael the archangel did not dare pronounce a railing judgment against Satan. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. Let God take care of Satan, but God's going to tell us how we resist him. How resist him. Resist him, notice the word, firm in your faith. Now, some versions will have a, the your in italics, and you'll see that, which means they believe that that's probably what the uh, original language intended. It's not in the original language. They're helping you translate. It's a translation. Translation. But here, it is literally, and I think I like the NASB, but I, they made a mistake. I don't like their translation here. If you read the Greek, it literally says, resist him firm in the faith. There's a the there. It, it literally is there. And that's a better translation. Yes, we do believe and trust Jesus, and that's part of it, but it's firm in the faith. So what does that mean? How can I resist him firm, steros, sturdy in the faith? How can I do that? Well, first of all, the faith speaks of the body of truth that we have been handed down through the scriptures that we believe concerning Christ and his, and his world and his will. In Acts chapter 6, we see that salvation was spoken of synonymously as being obedient to the faith. That's the truth that they believed, the truth that is believed, the truth that is believed by true believers, the faith, the body of doctrine passed down. Uh, pastors and teachers are for the equipping of the saints until we attain the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith. The unity of understanding and believing that body of doctrine together in the context of that, right? Um, Jude speaks of the faith delivered once for all. It's been, we have it. We have it. Now we know faith, the action comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. That's why it's connected together, the unity of the faith, the truth that we believe in which brings about faith, right? So then we're to resist the devil firm in the faith. The term firm I mentioned is steros. It's where we get our word steroid. That means speaking of hard, firm, or solid. So we're to resist the devil being firm in your belief of the truth of God and the God of the truth. Firm in what you believe from the word of God. Firm, strong, not waffling around, not jello, but firm. Firm in your belief of what God has said. God says his, 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 uh, his peace which surpasses comprehension will guard your heart and mind. Firm in the faith. I believe that. I'm not waffling. I'm uh, not sure. No, firm, right? Whatever it is, firm in the truth, the belief of the truth that has been revealed. Firm in the belief of the word of God and the God of the word. We resist Satan by being immovable, immovably trusting the Lord. Immovably trusting the Lord and believing what the scripture says concerning our circumstances, concerning him and concerning us. Simply, brothers and sisters, it speaks of the shield of faith, right? Right? And the sword of the word. 
We see that in Ephesians. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. Like, be strong, steroid. Uh, and have put on the breastplate of righteousness and have shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith uh, that with which you may be extinguished all the flaming missiles of the evil one. When you believe in the Lord and you believe what he has said, not one missile is going to get to you. Every single one. Resist him firm in the faith. Believing the truth that God has revealed and that comes from the God of the truth and believing in him. Our faith is in him. Our faith is in the Lord. So then resist him. Resist him firm in the faith. And I venture to say there's many believers who have fallen a prey to uh, Satan and been devoured because they were not firm in the faith. They did not listen to this. They allowed themselves to be weak and, and, and not uh, I'm not talking about weak, weak in terms of just being weak. We are weak, but weak in their, in, in compared to being strong in trusting Jesus. Their faith is weak. Uh, they don't believe everything God says, practically speaking. It's not on their hearts and minds. You gotta be in the Word of God to be firm in the faith. It's gotta be running through your head all the time. And therefore, we need to be sober. Not intoxicated by worry or fear. We need to be on the alert. And we need to resist the devil, standing firm in immovable trust of Jesus and what he has said. I believe what he said, and he's going to bring it forth. You think about the spies that went into the land. The bad guys were not firm in the faith. Uh, but the guys who were the good guys, they believed, regardless of what they saw, they believed what God said. They were firm in the faith. Do you believe what God says concerning your circumstances? You know, we can get all upset. We look at our jobs going a certain way or whatever it might be, or relationships. We should be on our knees praying and trusting the Lord so we don't become victims to that that lion who wants to devour us uh, through our lack of faith in Jesus Christ. So then, we are to be firm in the faith. And notice he gives an example. He says, uh, but resist him firm in the faith, knowing... You're going to know some, some biblical truth that's going to help you stand firm, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are around the world. And I love this word, being accomplished, teleos. It means that they're already, it's being done. It's being brought to its end. The suffering's not forever. God will soon, as we see in the next verse, establish, strengthen, and, 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 and bring us up in that sense. He's going to bring us through. This is part and parcel. You are not the only one going through this. True brothers and sisters are suffering too. The same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers who are in the world. Epitaleo, successful completion. The same experience of sufferings is coming to successful completion by your brothers and sisters around the world. You're going to make it through. God's going to get you through. It's, it's the same as everyone else is experiencing. Don't get caught off guard. Don't get caught off guard. You know, therefore, we don't lose heart, right? Though the outer man's decaying, inner man's being renewed day by day, for momentary light afflictions producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Bank that in your heart. Resist him firm in the faith. All things work together for good to those who love God. Those are called according to his purpose, or and we bake it in your heart. Stand firm in the faith. 
And after you have suffered a little while, same passage here, just after ours, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Wow. He himself personally will himself confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Remember Nehemiah's prayer, what we saw a couple weeks ago? God, you are way above everything. Trust in the Lord. Trust in him. Don't be uh, someone who is vulnerable to Satan's attacks. God commands you not to, by the way, if you're a believer. It's, it's sin if you fall into that, by the way. Confess. If you have been demolished by Satan, confess. You did not obey this. You were ignorant. still sin. Confess it and thank the Lord that he loves you and he's desiring to reprove you so that you'd be more like your, his son Jesus. Confess and be restored and then step out and resist him firm in the faith. Folks, we have an enemy. We have an enemy, and we're going to face opposition. We've already faced it in this church. We've faced it. I've faced it. I'm still facing it right now. And maybe some of you are. We have an enemy who desires to get at us. Our enemy is Satan, and he uses people who are in his domain as his pawns. And yes, they are evil, and what they're doing is evil, yes. But we need to learn how to respond, and how we respond is by trusting and obeying our Lord Jesus Christ by focusing on him, by resisting the devil firm in the faith. And if you, if you fail, uh, humble yourself for the mighty hand of God, submit to God, resist the devil, and then be, be, confess your sin, repent, right? So then, how are you doing? Are you thinking right? Are you watchful? Are you aware we have an enemy that prowls about to, distort, to devour us? Well, we need to be. And uh, that's not so that we would fear. That's so that we would turn and focus on our Savior who has defeated him at the cross, who if we trust in him, not one of the fiery darts can get to us. And then we can go about his work, even though it's difficult, for his glory, and we're on our way to eternal glory. So, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, um, I do just praise you and thank you for uh, the privilege you've given us to be in your word. And I thank you for this reminder that our enemy is not specifically the people. It's Satan. And so we are to respond in these battles by trusting you, by resisting him, trusting you, by being alert, being watchful, sober, sober spirit. Help us to do so, Lord, as we go about your work so that we are not devoured uh, by our enemy. Uh, Lord, I pray for anyone who has been devoured, a believer, that they would admit it and confess and be restored and get into your word and believe what you said. Be strong in the faith. Be solid in the faith, trusting you. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. Lord, they are in Satan's domain and they are on their way to hell. Lord, but you sent your son to die for their sins. I praise you for that. And I pray that uh, they would turn and believe and be saved. So, Lord, thank you so much for this time in your word. Protect this body, both east and west, as we step out together in this church. A plant, Lord God, for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.